this is part two of our Veterans Day series. Yeah, we found uh, ourselves having so much to talk about, we had to do part two. Yeah, we ran out of time in the last episode. Um, so just a quick recap of last uh, episode. We talked about my uncle uh, Ralph, my great uncle mm-hmm. Ralph, who was in World War II. Yep. He marched over 750 miles on foot. In Italy. In Italy. On the beach. <laughs> and at Goodness. times, the mud and sand was up to his knees, which is why he Ugh. swore he would never walk in sand again. Yep. And as far as I know, the rest of his life, he never did. <laughs> um, Rightfully so. While he was there, he bumped into a couple other family members of mine that were also serving in World War II. Crazy. Uh, people that I never met, Yeah. unfortunately. Um, and then we talked about my grandfather, who served in the Korean War, also known as the Forgotten War. Mm-hmm. And that's a very that's a very sad thing that people don't know about the Korean War, because it's such an important part as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was drafted into the Army originally. Yep. He ran to the nearest Air Force recruiting office. They put him <laughs> on a train and shipped him to Texas, and his head was still spinning, and he found himself on a boat headed to Korea. Hmm. Uh, he had the time of his life underway for two weeks on a ship. <laughs> Sounded he, like he it. He said the hardest part was learning to sit down on the toilet while the, you know, you're Just going up yourself. and down and up and down. <laughs> and I've been there, done that. Yep. Um, and then after that, you know, he had a couple hand grenades dropped on him while he was in his foxhole at night. Standard ops. But uh, <laughs> he lived to tell about it, and I'm very glad that he did. Yep. Um, and then we talked about your dad. Yep. Working search and rescue in the Coast Guard up in the Straits of Juan de Fuca, mm-hmm. which is between Canada and Washington. Yep. I still cannot believe his little 80-foot patrol boat moved a 800 foot long oil yeah. tanker That's if you ever need a tune-up on your engine wanted to go faster dad's <laughs> got to call <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous with pushing, that kind of stuff. you'll be pushing cargo ships around with your car pretty much um so that brings us up into today's episode yeah and uh we're gonna go back now from the time that your dad served yep. in the late 70s yep 80s 90s what year did he 2000s? retire 2000s 2005 he retired so he spent 20 and a half years in the service so he served nearly 30 years yep in the service wow um, Long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to go back to Vietnam now. Okay. Because this is one of the conflicts that we skipped the last time. Right. Yeah, and we had to take a break because the story is long, and I, I feel like I had the honor of meeting Uncle Bob a couple times. He mm-hmm. came to our wedding, mm-hmm. um, and this story is so unique, like I've mentioned in the past, that we switched gears, went to my dad so I could share some of his stories. Now we're going to go back to Uncle Bob so Ryan can fill us in on his uh, interesting career path in the Marines. Right, right, right. Yeah. So my Uncle Bob, um, what can you say about Bob? He was just like one of the nicest guys. He's the happiest guys I've ever met. So genuine and, yeah, one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. Right. And, I mean, he was one of them that, like, everything was, it was just a positive outlook and just... Yeah, I think... Nothing was ever wrong. No, I was going to say, I think after his life experiences, he knew he had it pretty good. Yeah. Um, So he was originally in the Army. Mm Mm-hmm. And he served, he said, two years in the Army. Yeah. And he was a um, one of the guys that was in one of the tanks. I don't know what platform mm. he was on or anything like that. Um, but I asked him one time, I was like, why did you leave the Army and join the Marine Corps? <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh, here we go. And he said, they painted the, t- the inside of the tanks white. Mm-hmm. He said, and after we'd come home from doing training or being on a mission or whatever, he said that the inside had to be spotless before we could leave. Oh. He's like, you know how hard it is to get white spotless? That's so cruel. <laughs> Sounds like the military. Let's do this pointless thing and you just know make what it I harder. Mean? So he was like, so he's like, I went and I asked if I could transfer them the rest of my time to the Marine Corps. And they said, yeah, you'll have to go through boot camp again. He said, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll so do it. He left the, uh, he left the, oh uh, the After army. After two years. It went to the Marine Corps. it wasn't for him. And did all that all over again at oh Camp Pendleton. Gosh. And uh, 
After that, he went to um, their technical school or whatever you want to call it, you mm-hmm. know, where you specialize in your training, and yep. he became a helicopter mechanic. Mm-hmm. So at this point, he's a mechanic on helicopters. Um, he lived in California, Washington, um, the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. He even came to right here in Connecticut one time. He mm. went to some training. Don't know what was going on here in Connecticut. But Interesting. Mabel was telling me about that. Um, and then he got orders to go to Vietnam. Yeah. So while he was in Vietnam, uh, he's an enlisted guy, right? Mm-hmm. Probably E4, E5, something like that. Yeah. Um, which isn't. I don't want to say which isn't too high, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's nothing special, you know? I mean, you're no. doing grunt work. Yeah. I mean, you're just one of the, you're in that situation. As people like to call it, quote, worker bees. Yeah. You're just a body at that well, point, you know? Yeah. So, um, as the helicopter mechanic, he would go out on missions, whether it be medevacs, um, attacking, attack runs, you know, gun runs, whatever it is. Yeah. And he would always fly, watch the gauges, make sure everything's running good. Right. Um, as a mechanic should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at this point, you know, in Vietnam, I mean, if you just Google the Vietnam War, one of the first things that pops up is that Huey helicopter. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that was the, it was literally a helicopter fought war, you know, yeah. especially from the U.S. Yeah. Um, it's like the staple image. Like right. everybody knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started sitting in the jump seat with uh, the pilots that were flying mm-hmm. and would help them out doing different things, this, that, and the other. And, uh, unfortunately the casualty rate for the pilots over there at the time was just astronomical. You know, I mean, they were getting killed left and right every day in combat. Yeah. So they started training him, you know, not officially kind of nonchalantly like, Hey, here's how to be, here's how to fly. If something ever goes bad, which in the Marines are pilots officers. Yes. So it was like way out of every branch of the military. And pilots, he, are officers. Yeah, pilots are always officers. Yeah, so he was learning stuff that was way out of his right, pay yeah. grade. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's sitting in the jump seat of a helicopter, and the pilots, while they're flying them to and from, doing drop-off missions, support missions, cargo runs, gun runs, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, they're giving my Uncle Bob the controls and showing him how to handle the aircraft. Could you imagine? <laughs> I really can't. But... <laughs> Just the young guy like, oh, all right, cool. Um. But, I mean, he already had the working knowledge of, you know, the controls of the helicopter. Because right. he was the one that was fixing them when they would become back shot up. Yeah, had that good foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, slowly, he began to learn how to fly helicopters. Hmm. And uh, there was one trip in particular he told me about. I'm not going to get into the details just in case it's... Um, sensitive yeah, topic. Sensitive, graphic, whatever you want to call it. But, sure. Uh, they were flying into a... Um, into a combat zone where they had to extract a whole bunch of Marines that were trapped. Yeah. And it, I think he said it was like four or five helicopters were there with them. So I think there was like a total of six or seven or something. Hmm. But they were literally coming in, flying treetop level, you know, so that you can keep your element of surprise. They can't see you coming or anything like that. I mean, they can yeah. hear you a mile away. Right. Um, but during that time, they started taking small arms fire and the pilot was killed that was flying the helicopter. Dang. So at this point, it's my Uncle Bob sitting up front. He's got the controls of the helicopter, and he said, which was fine, you know, because he'd done it. I mean, he wasn't an expert. He obviously wasn't licensed. He wasn't formally trained. (laughs) But he said the hardest part was that the pilot was slumped forward instead of back, so he was, like, leaning on the controls that he needed to use. Yeah. And if you've ever seen a helicopter pilot fly, you need both hands. It's not like in Cessna where you can throttle forward and then you're flying with your left hand on the yoke or anything you know i mean uh, right helicopter pilot you're using it's like f- you're fully engaged both hands both feet so he it's said like driving that, in michigan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to be well aware of your surroundings so um 
he was flying this thing. He ended up aborting the mission. He was turning back with the people that he had on board because he didn't Uncle know Uncle Bob was. Yes. Yeah. He didn't know how many people in the back had taken casualties at this point. The helicopter was just completely riddled with bullets. Hmm. Um, and he said that uh, the pilot was slumped forward. They're still taking small arms fire. And he's got his hand trying to hold the other guy back. So he's got his arm. You know, like whenever your mom used to hit the brakes and she'd throw her arm over for some reason? mom arm. Yeah, Yeah. that's what he was doing to this guy, trying to keep him off the controls. Jeez. And he ended up limping the helicopter back. And I guess he impressed his superiors. Hmm. Because at this point, they told him, hop in a different one and go back. Because the other guys are still there. (laughs) As the pilot. So (laughs) So now it's like you went from just training, but you got all these guys back successful. So here you go. Here's your own helicopter. Here's the keys. You know where you're going? Yeah, go take off. He got into a fresh helicopter and he flew back and um, and that was how he became a pilot, essentially. Yeah, he legitimately became a pilot from that. He yes. started flying helicopters. And could you imagine having your pilot be killed mm-hmm. and like literally you land a couple minutes later and they say, here's another one. Mm-hmm. Like, you're it. That's pretty much it. Like, right. instead of nowadays with everything being way more calm and you're not like... Oh, there's so much training and just that goes into it. They would have crapped their britches you if think? he would have said, hey, I know how to fly this thing. Like, let me just do it. They're like, okay, hold on. <laughs> what, are, what are the regulations for safety you say? Like, I mean, you don't, you but, don't have a competency. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's literally how... I mean, that's just what happened to him. And that's, yeah. his, that's why it's such an incredible story. Um, which, over the years... I mean, I talked to Uncle Bob weekly. You know, oh, yeah. For, for many, many years. I mean, he was one of the main influences of me joining um, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but just every time I would try to get a new story out of him. Yeah. And you know how older people are. They tell you the same one a few times. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was able to get um, a lot of different stories out of him. And uh, another one, just to mention, was uh, one time he was flying over in Vietnam and his helicopter had been so shot up mm-hmm. just it had bullet holes just everywhere all through the thing yeah that by the time he landed and picked up the people that he went in to pick up that were pinned down then he was flying back he said that the rotors had so much damage that he could hear the wind whistling through the holes oh my gosh in the rotor blades that's so scary you know? considering they're not supposed to fly anyways it, yeah and he said that he would just keep it at treetop level and just keep plugging along but yeah he what said could you do at any minute he was just waiting for the balance to go or the tail rotor to crap out and yep. just the thing disintegrate in midair wow um but he also told stories about how he would use the helicopter rotors itself to like knock down trees mm-hmm. so that he could pick people up yeah they would, like make his own landing pad yeah exactly like he would be circling above you know giving close air support or whatever and then they would radio like all right dude we got to get out of here there's nowhere to land yeah they would pop smoke he would hover down real low and just use the rotors to make himself a landing pad like you said jeez and just how do, i don't understand branches. how he went from like on the job training very lackadaisical to knowing how that like i would yeah. be afraid that if something hit the rotor i'd be screwed yeah, I mean, like, most cases you are. I yeah. Mean, if you've ever seen, like, YouTube videos of just, like, something clipping a tail rotor. I feel like it doesn't take much for a helicopter no, to go down. because then things are so balanced. And, I mean, it's it's a very delicate mm. system that then things have. That's insane. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, he literally went from, you know, bottom of the totem pole in the Army to bottom of the totem pole in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Going, becoming a mechanic on helicopters. Yep. And then next thing you know, he's flying with the... Full-fledged pilot. Flying with the other guys. Yeah, doing extractions and everything that a trained officer pilot in the Marines that probably had like years of training. Yeah, some of them, I'm sure. We're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Mabel did tell me that's you know his wife. Yeah. Um, she said that over there it was the same thing with Uncle Ralph. You know, it was just always letters home. Yeah, whenever you could. Yeah, and there was no computers back then, obviously, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, she said that in Bob's deployment, one time he called home, collect, and it was 200 and something dollars back Goodness. Back then. That was, that, like, I don't know what the exchange rate is now, but that's had yeah. to have been so expensive. I don't know how long they talked. I mean, if they talked all day, then sure, 200 bucks, cough it up. I, yeah, I highly <laughs> doubt it was an all-day conversation. It was probably like five minutes. Uh, oh, my gosh. Um. But then I asked Mabel, I said, did Uncle Bob ever tell you any stories that he didn't tell me? And she said, well, not him exactly, but I did hear some of the stuff that him and his guys used to do whenever he was back stateside. Mm. And apparently there was a topless beach around. Oh, okay, Uncle Bob, I see you. Yeah, they used to fly their helicopters real <laughs> low over the, over the beach up and down California whenever oh they, were doing their, when they were doing their training flights. They're like, oh, oh got to go this way, sorry. <laughs> but she got a good chuckle out of it. Oh, my gosh. But, um. I could see Uncle Bob yeah. just being kind of... <laughs> just smoking and flying over yep. and just be like... Hmm. Coming back from Vietnam saying, you know what? Let's go do some training, boys. I mean, at that point, I think they deserved it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was yeah. so funny. But um, he went on to uh, work for mm. McDonnell Douglas, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And was a test pilot when he got back from the Marines. Yeah. And uh, he worked in all sorts of crazy places. He never said Area 51. I have a feeling he was at Area 51. Ah, That would have been good for our... I know, but he never came out and said it. He just said that he flew to all sorts of different high-profile bases he, like, winking, in the desert. Like, like <laughs> but, I mean, you look at where he moved. He moved to yeah. Pahrump, which yep. is just outside, outside of, of Vegas. Las Vegas, which is just outside. 60 miles outside of Area 51. I mean, hmm. you know what I mean? Uncle Bob. Like I said, he never came out and said it. but A man of topless beaches and secrets. Right? He was... Uh, <laughs> He was a test pilot, so who knows? Yeah. I'm thinking he was probably out there at some point in his mm, career. Interesting. Yeah, but that's what he ended up doing after he retired and uh, um, did that for another 15, 20 years. Yeah. And then uh, retired completely. Yeah. Which is I, incredible. I just, I have never heard anybody have that. Like, you hear nowadays about, like, field promotions and such, right, but right. it's not, like, hey, you did such a good job, we're going to take you from an E4 position to an officer position to do a job that you have no training to do, but we're going to have you do it. Right, yeah. So, I mean, field promotions is like one jump in a pay grade. Mm -hmm. And it's like literally few and far between, at least in our service. So to have that experience and then go on to do it in the civilian sector too. Yeah, to go you, get your license. And like, just, that's what I am now, yeah. helicopter pilot. I mean, I'm sure the civilian sector was like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, you must know what you're doing if you made it through that war and had all that success that they just promoted you like that. I don't see why he wouldn't have gotten hired, but yeah, I can't imagine having that experience. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, he, I got a lifetime of stories just listening to him talk over the years. I mean, he's just told me so much mm -hmm. crazy stuff and yeah. Which is wild because like meeting him, he's just so, he was so humble. Yeah, he was. Absolutely. And, like, I don't think I ever had conversations. I mean, it might've come up when we were visiting with him and stuff, but like he never talked about himself. Right. Like, yep. unless you were prompted or like, you know, went out of your way to ask him about himself. Mm -hmm. Like he was just so humble and didn't really, I guarantee if even when he was talking to you about it, he never like took credit. No, like, no, oh, no, I was no, like, no. Look it at was just, yeah, it you was, unfortunately I mean? my pilot was killed. So I'm, you know, here I am now. It's just not so, that, yeah. So know. casual and just like, yeah, I mean, I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. I mean, you would have never known he was in the military if he didn't wear that bright red Marine Corps retired hat of his that he mm -hmm. always had on, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. What a cool guy. He was a cool guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good old uncle Bob. Yeah. So. I'm glad I had the 
honor of meeting him before he unfortunately passed away because yep. um you hadn't like you weren't in touch with him for a while like you didn't really know anything about him when you no, were younger i huh? really didn't know anything um i met him actually whenever my grandmother got sick and passed away he came into town with mabel yeah to see them to see her before she got uh before she passed mm-hmm. and he was just out in the garage drinking his coffee like, it was like guy? 90 <laughs> degrees you know and he's outside drinking coffee and mm-hmm. i'm like dude what's your who Why? are you yeah who is this guy <laughs> why aren't Why are you, you drinking, drinking water or gatorade <laughs> yeah what did he say about that too Oh uh, yeah, he used he to said, drink coffee uh, over there. Yep, yeah, he said he always drink coffee in Vietnam because you would you wouldn't sweat that way if you're drinking something hot whenever it's hot outside. That makes no sense. And to I me. want to say you're probably having a heat stroke, dude. Yeah, like when you stop sweating, it's bad because yeah. you're on the verge of a stroke. But, but I uh, thought that was ridiculously yeah. funny. But yeah, that's the way I met him. As he was outside smoking and drinking coffee in the garage, and he's yep. like, "What do you do?" And I told him that, it, you know, I was an EMT and. He said, you had any good calls? And I was like, oh, well, we had this one bad wreck and a helicopter came in and took him away. Well, what kind of helicopter was it? It was a Bell 207. You know, I, yeah, I've flown them before. And it was like, okay, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> I know you being in the aviation, you're like, hmm, yeah. okay. And go to find out. He's a retired Marine that flew helicopters in Vietnam. So me and him headed off well after that. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I put his number in my phone and me and him talked, you know, weekly for many 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 years mm-hmm. which is really crazy how things work out yep yeah because then we went to vegas all the time and him living in pahrump yep. we saw bob and mabel every single time we went out there yep. he came and got me from the airport one time and took me to the hotel and yep. yeah made sure to have lunch with them or dinner or something every mm-hmm. time and when we got married out there they were there yep and it's just very cool it's cool how that relationship blossomed and to have that history and now with you being active duty and stuff you know being able it's the same thing with like me and my dad being able to have conversations it's it's a different type of connection right, yeah. that you have with somebody. Because, um, I mean, I know you and I had both dated people who weren't in the military before we met each other. Right. And it is so hard to have a conversation with them about what you've experienced or, like, even your day. Right. They have no understanding of it, you know? I think the most, the most nerve-wracking thing is, like, time management for me. Yeah. You know? Like, that was, like... Looking back now, I can see, like, that annoyed the crap out of me. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, we got to go in, like, you know, an hour. Okay. Yeah. An hour rolls around. Let's go. Well, I got to get ready. And it's oh, like, like, before you, you know, were in the military? It, yeah. yeah. Like, because, I mean, yeah. Anyway, we don't have to go down that. Yeah. Down I think, um, I mean, if we're going to talk about ourselves, do you want to talk about ourselves? I think you should talk about yourself. Why? <laughs> go ahead. Um, What's your most memorable moment in your career? So, I mean, how many years do you have in now? Um, I will be, gosh, 11 in 11 January. 11 years, okay. Yeah. Um, most memorable. Or, like, what sticks out whenever you think back on your time? I mean, I think, and it's a goofy story. I mean, there's a couple. Um, but most of my interesting stories come from being underway on yeah. my first unit. Um we were in really bad seas and they forbid anybody from going outside mm-hmm. on certain levels of the deck because the waves were so high that like literally you got would have gotten washed away. And of course, everyone who smokes was like serious oh, because they couldn't out. go outside and smoke. But it was like um, it was really, really bad. And we had shoring, which is like wood planks that you have. Did you have it on your boat, too? Like shoring so that you could like prop up walls and stuff if they were sinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we had like pieces of wood outside that were strapped on the side of the boat and you need those because if you get a hole in the boat or you need to prop up the ceiling or something you have to plug it you have to shore it so you have to plug that thing do do all these different kind of things and they were strapped to the side of the boat and 
we were sitting on the mess deck, me and my friend, uh, she was my best friend at the time, and a wave came over and we heard this noise and all the shoring on the side of the boat fell off mm. of the stabilizer and we were like, well, we can't lose it because if we need it, we're screwed. Yeah. Like there's nothing else on the boat like that. So we literally went downstairs, put all of our rain gear on, uh, put a float coat on in case we fell off the side of the boat, just in case. Um, and got some like bungee cords basically, but like shorter ones with like carabiners on the end, mm -hmm. clipped each other to each other and then clipped ourselves to the side of the boat and had to go out there in the middle of waves crashing over. And we were trying to grab shoring and like shove it through the doors in the mess deck to save it mm -hmm. because we were in the middle of nowhere. We were in transition to Asia yeah, and like no land around probably, probably wasn't going to see it for days. Yeah. Um, and we had we just for some reason felt like and we were the lowest of the low people on the boat at the yeah. time and we just jumped into action we were like well we have to get it because we're gonna need it and if we don't have it we're screwed yeah, so absolutely. and that was terrifying like we came in and we were soaked like i couldn't see and i was like if we fall over we're clipped to each other but we're gonna be dangling like yeah. you know it's just two girls like out on the side just like shoving it inside and the guys were like pulling it in and it was just wild um the other thing was we were going through the philippines um and these people came out of nowhere on like motor powered canoes yeah. and they were shouting at us. And like, we didn't know if they had guns or mm -hmm. anything and they were yelling at us and they came aside. There was no boats, They're no trying to land. Sell you crap. They wanted our cigarettes, Ooh. but we were in general quarters as far as like, cause it was an area where the U S isn't welcome mm -hmm. really. So we had people patrolling with guns and everything. And we were like, what the heck do these people want? And we were like, there's gotta be a mothership around somewhere because these people are in like little tiny canoes and turns out there was, but it was like way off our radar at the time, but they were yelling and we had no clue what they wanted. And then someone, I don't know how, I don't know if somebody spoke their language or something, but we figured out that they wanted cigarettes from us, hmm. which turned out to not be a big deal, but it was scary at first because we're like in a danger zone anyways. Yeah. And like the CO, the commanding officer and like everybody's up on the bridge and it was like all hell was breaking loose because we didn't know <laughs> what they wanted. We didn't know if there was more of them yeah. or anything. So you have, know, a, have a Captain Phillips situation. I know, right? Um, but I would say being out there in the middle of nowhere or like going to sleep and being able to see land and then waking up and seeing nothing yeah, that's except weird, for water it? is very intimidating. Yeah. Knowing you're the only people out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Especially when there's no contacts on the radar because that goes out pretty far. Yeah. You know, and then they got the AIS now. Yeah. You know, the, I forget what it stands for. Automated information system or something like that, where it literally sends a signal out for all the boats that are in the area. Yeah. And whenever there's nothing on AIS, you know that you're... Alone. Yep. Yeah. And it's very like, intimidating. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I would say those are the most memorable moments for me. Yeah. And you've gone a lot of different places, too. You yeah. Know, you said uh, the Philippines. You went to, what, Singapore, Bangkok. <laughs> yeah. I've been to Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Brunei, Singapore, Hawaii. Guam, Hawaii. Um, I was supposed to go to Australia. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go. Oh, good grief. But you've flown into different countries that I've never even been to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you've been to where over in the middle east real quick uh, pretty much you name it anywhere on the persian gulf with the exception of iran you know you got iraq kuwait saudi arabia bahrain mm -hmm. qatar uae pakistan so basically between you and i we've covered a lot of ground yeah for sure yeah you know and you've got one year on me so you're 12 12 years in for sure so i mean definitely family played influence and in us joining um yep and we're more than halfway to retirement and it's a good feeling it's it's honestly given us like it's been stressful at times mm -hmm. but i think we've gotten more 
interesting stories and benefits from it than anything. And I think it's a very unique situation to live your life through. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, there's obviously thousands of people in the military, but everyone's experience is different and how you take it. So, yeah. And uh, my brother, my younger brother served as well. You know, he just got out of the Marine Corps not too Mm -hmm. long ago. Um, And I think he had like the funnest job. He was a dog handler. Right. I love dogs. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, him, he was in Afghanistan. I think me and him kind of like high-fived each other. As I was coming home, he was headed there. Yeah, so yeah. So like I left Iraq. He was headed to Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, he was there with uh, a whole platoon. I don't know their little... I know the Marines are so different Yeah, than I mean, us. they have their little sayings or whatever. But he was there, um, went all over the Helmand province, mm-hmm. um, had a black lab, and sniffed out you know, IEDs and all sorts of other crazy stuff. And, yeah. uh, whenever he came home, uh, it was, it was really good then just to have, I think everybody back in the United States right? to where it's kind of like a relaxation point. <laughs> I can't believe your parents' situation having two out of their three sons over in that area. Yeah. Cause we talk about like world war one, Vietnam, Korean war and stuff. The Iraqi war has been going on for so long. And right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's super stressful because you're still hearing stories about it and it's been going on for years. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, it'll continue to go on, too. You know, I think that's a, I mean, yeah, look at Afghanistan, look at the history, you know, the mm-hmm. Soviet Union literally bankrupted themselves there. And that's why it's Russia now, in my yeah. opinion. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that's a war that's going to come to an end anytime soon. However, I feel as long as we got people over there, support them. Mm-hmm. And not just on Veterans Day, not just on Memorial Day. No, absolutely not. But, you know, year-round, and it takes more than just wearing a red T-shirt saying, oh, I remember our deployed troops. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just... Yeah, and there's lots of ways to do it. I know they do, like, um, food drives and, like, a lot of stuff during the holidays because not everyone gets to come home for the holidays. Right. Not everyone gets Veterans Day off on Monday. Right. Like, we're more than thankful to be shoreside and be able to... Uh, be home with our family and everything but there's lots of ways to look into how you can support troops um overseas and all that kind of stuff yeah for sure but and uh i encourage you to do it yeah and Um, i mean honestly from your experience in the military would you recommend people to be in the military i think if everybody had to join the military it would solve a lot of the problems that we have Mm -hmm. in this country i think so too just my opinion yeah at least serve not like a 20-year career as far as like retirement but like just one contract just anything just because I think it would make people appreciate, you know, why the government spends a lot of money on the military or why we're in certain areas mm-hmm. and why we get involved with things like right. that. So. It's people that say stuff and they have no idea what the story is behind it. You know? Yeah. It's Which probably is, one of the most frustrating things. Right. Especially like whenever you are in a position where you have access to the classified information. Yeah. I'm not going to go down that hole because I don't want to end up in the brig. Right. But whenever <laughs> you see the information that the people at DC are acting upon hmm You get it. You get it at that point. Yeah. And it's these people back home that are running their mouths on freaking CNN. You have no idea, bro. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And that's a lot of the reason why Ryan and I choose, even when we're doing radio, to not discuss politics. Right. Because we're, we're obviously involved with the military and the government and all that kind of stuff. And one, we shouldn't talk about certain things. Right. And even two, if I wasn't, I still wouldn't discuss politics no, because it, you get hard-headed It's not worth it. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. It's not worth it. Obviously, we have our opinions and everyone else has their own, but... Yep. You know, we feel a certain way because of the life we lead and not everyone's going to agree because they don't understand. Unfortunately, people go the other way and they're, you know, whatever. That's all I can say about that. Whatever. Anyway, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Happy Veterans Day to uh, you and to all those that have served before us, those that are serving now and anybody going to serve in the future. Mm 
I wish you the best. Hope you have a good, safe, long weekend. Mm-hmm. This is the lab of the weekly lab at gmail.com. I think we forgot to say that last time. Oh, yeah. Give us an email. Um, share any of your veteran stories as well. We're, yeah. uh, we'll read them over the air. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, download our podcast and listen to us on WRMI on shortwave. <laughs>